There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocalint Podcast. This week was the EE Pocalint Awards 2021. So we're devoting the whole show to talk about the winners and runners-up in the best gadget awards there are. Well, in our minds at least. Yep, we've seen new devices, new services, refreshes, and even the demise of some of our favorite gadgets over the last 12 months. And while things still haven't been the same as they were compared to previous years, that hasn't stopped the team reviewing hundreds of devices over the 20 products this year, all before the shortlist was put together and put towards an industry panel of independent journalists and you, yes, you, the public. But who's won what, and are we happy with the results? Well, I'm joined by Pocalint editor Chris Hall and Pocalint Reviews editor Mike Lowe to discuss the winners. So, Mike, let's start with you. What has been your standout winner this year? Tough question straight away. Uh, oh, there's there's a few ways to think about that. It's been a bit of a strange year, um, given that many of us have been stuck inside. So, mm. on the one hand, it's been nice getting some cars to kind of explore the hills and get away. But on the other hand, um, I get the feeling that for me, the PlayStation 5 has occupied rather a lot of time. And uh, I just think there's been so much good stuff that's come out on it. Now, you were one of the lucky ones to actually get a PlayStation 5. And you've had one for pretty much since the beginning, didn't you? Yeah. um, I got probably more lucky i managed to buy one for a friend as well um legitimately not even like (laughs) wasn't trying to make any cash or any of that kind of thing it literally fell into my inbox so yeah i I kind of somehow got very lucky with it i guess because we're always looking we're always kind of switched on to the the tech thing waiting various laptops and fingers ready to go um so yeah i've been lucky and uh it's it's been yeah widely used by me whether it's playing 4k blu-rays or, or just playing games it's kind of that thing that has been really handy to have around and uh you know like a, a lockdown friend oh that's sweet now chris i know your team xbox but what's been your uh standout product this year uh yeah well i am team xbox and obviously xbox didn't do quite as well as the playstation 5 um but I mean, the interesting thing, just whilst we're on that, is that I kind of understand the sentiment as well because Xbox hasn't had the same run of and enticing games that the PlayStation has five so has had. So sitting there with my new Xbox, watching those who have got a PlayStation playing these brand new titles, has left me a little bit envious. But that's by the by. Um, for me, the standout uh, is the Hyonic, uh, Hyundai Ionic Five. Um, I've had a chance to drive a lot of electric cars this year, and some have been really impressive. One of the things that really speaks to me about Hyundai, and it will be the same for the Kia EV6 as well that um, that's coming along, is that these brands have really changed their identity over the past 10 or 15 years in the UK. The way that they've redesigned the way their cars look and feel, there's been this sort of wholesale shift towards offering a higher quality proposition. And I think what's really happening here is that that Kia and Hyundai are coming along by stealth 
And in a few years' time, you'll turn around and say, hold on, they have most of the electric car market because they have already had numerous generations of cars out previously. They have a lot of experience and that's kind of pulling pulling through now. And I think the the new Ionic family, and we've heard that there's the Ionic 6 and the Ionic 7 to come in the future, are really, um, they're really showing this off. And, and you know, for me, that was just the car that stood out. I've, I've been in a lot and obviously, you know, the, you know, the Porsche Taycans and stuff are fabulous and the Audi e-tron GT is amazing. But I think the Ionic 5 will speak to a lot of people. And if you can't quite get your head around the retro futuristic weird design, then Kia's EV6, which is very similar, has a different design. And, and I think that will have a lot of appeal too. Cool. And so let's stick on and, and in that, let's go back to the game thing, because I think that's felt like it's it's dominated. We had three new consoles uh, this year, Mike, didn't we? Was that was that a tough decision when it came to picking this PlayStation 5 as a winner? I think, so from my point of view, it's, it's quite apparent that the Xbox Series X, it is more powerful. So in theory, it can do more, and it should be the better console, and, and so on and so forth. But in year one, it just hasn't really had many exclusive games. Um, you know, we're talking about this in what mid mid November twenty one. So these two consoles have been around for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the the big thing that will happen now is actually Xbox will suddenly start rolling stuff out. Um, even last week, Forza Horizon five dropped, and I think that's kind of the beginning of you know a step change, perhaps. Which is great fun, isn't it? I mean, that and you've got Halo Infinite coming, haven't you? So they kind of it feels like this on the horizon. But as you say, the PlayStation Five has just has dominated in the exclusive, and I think that was probably very clear in that best in our best game category. You know, a lot of them were PlayStation Five exclusives. Yeah, because they weren't only exclusive; they were really good. You know, there's been a whole range of just very, very decent titles. Um, it's been a bit of a weird year in regards to what these consoles kind of mean to some regard, though, because in effect, the PlayStation 5, when you buy a game on it, you can also buy it on your PS4. Um, same with the Xbox X, you could buy it on your predecessor, just you know, slightly less graphically in- intensive. Um, and the third console, obviously, is the Nintendo Switch OLED model, which, again, is effectively the same as the Switch. It just has an OLED screen and a slightly better design. So it's... Even though there's a lot of promise from these consoles, and I do love my PS5, and I know Chris loves his Xbox Series X, or maybe his kids do more, um, you know, the the full potential is yet to come. So I think we'll see what happens in the next kind of year or two or five or beyond, because there's going to be a lot of a lot of stuff coming out, and I, I would imagine developers will be kind of turning the dials and, and really kind of squeezing as much as they can out of these platforms. And as if I was on the BBC, it was like, you know, there are other consoles available. Um, out of those three, personally, I, I prefer the Nintendo Switch OLED. I think it's a great little device. And I kind of, for me, I like to play games. But I just sometimes don't have the time to sort of invest in like 40, 50 hours in, in, to, into a, a PlayStation 5 title. Um, I just love the pick up and playability of, of some of the, the Nintendo titles that are still out there. And, and, and even though... You know, I find myself playing sort of like Luigi Mansion 3 or Link's Awakening, which are kind of, you know, a couple of years old now. It's still fun to sort of just say, oh, I'll just play this for 20 minutes and, you know, and still get something out of it. Yeah, I mean, well, Link's Awakening is a, is a remake of a game that's, what, more than 25 years old? Isn't it? Yeah. 
So it shows that Nintendo really puts its stamp on making classics from from decades before that they can then just kind of pull back out, um, modify, and just you know show that it's a a great company for making great games. So it's definitely not one to be overlooked. I mean, some of my favourite games in the last what five years plus, particularly Zelda, certainly has been on on the Switch. Um, so if you've not bought one or got to play that then the OLED model is a great route into it, really. So we're, we're lucky. There's been a whole bunch of stuff coming out, and if you can get your hands on them, <laughs> then uh, it's, it's been a really strong year for, for consoles and gaming. Now, Chris, we've already talked about the Ionic 5 and the winner there. It was in a really tough pack this year. We're, do you feel we're, we're now at that tipping point where there is very good, viable electric options for consumers who want to go electric this year? Well, definitely over the past 12 months, we've seen this huge expansion in the range of cars that are available. We started with more expensive models. And, and you can kind of, if you look at what's happened with Tesla, you can see that that being reflected across other black, other brands. They came out with their executive saloon with the Model S, and then they went big with their SUV. And then they came along and said, okay, we're going we're gonna to target smaller and more affordable, which is the Tesla Model 3, which is the car that we now see on the roads most commonly, especially here in the UK. And other brands are sort of doing the same thing. Audi did exactly the same thing. They went big and bold with their first model. And then this year, one of the standout models from them is the Q4 e-tron, which is smaller, much more mass market. It's going to have a lot more appeal to people. So we can see electric cars making their mark, coming out and proving the point, and then saying these can be more affordable and this is how we're going to do it. And there are some brands in particular to watch. I mean, our runner-up this year is the Fiat 500e, which is small and it won't give you a lot of range. So this isn't something that you're going to use to drive 300 miles in. But for anybody looking for a small, affordable city car, then it's a really good option. It has a lot of personality and it keeps that, sort of essence of, of what the Fiat 500 is. And, and that's one of the things that really appeals to me. And there are other small cars like that, like the Corsa E as well, which is perhaps not as exciting and doesn't have as much personality as the Fiat, but it is affordable and it offers a good package. Um, you know, the mm. biggest problem that we really face at the moment is around pricing. And a lot of people will be saying, but this is five or £10,000 more than the petrol equivalent like how are we supposed to afford these things and that i i think is still the biggest barrier that people are going to face you know if they're buying outright then there's a big chunk of cash if they're leasing then there's going to be a little bit more to pay every month now let's switch gears slightly uh, and talk about cameras um mike this was a, a an interesting conversation we had at the uh, judges independent judges panel um and that we're not sure whether the cameras uh, category is going to survive another year. What, what's happening there? Um, it, it can certainly survive. I think it's more, there was a, a point in time where if you wanted to take photographs, you had to buy a camera, right? Now, you've more than likely got a phone in your pocket. And in, increasingly, those manufacturers are really pushing um, their capabilities. So for a lot of people, they don't want the the bulk and the complexity and the cost of having, you know, inverted commas, a proper camera. Um, so I think it's really kind of getting a bit squashed down into being a much more enthusiast and, and pro um, category from the way that we're looking at it anyway. Um, it won't go away. There's there's some, you know, real importance in, in these larger cameras that are much, they are very much more capable. Um, 
it's just, mm, I guess, more of or less of a mass market proposition than perhaps it's ever been before. Um, I think that's reflected in in the range of what what's come through this year. A lot of it is very high end, um, and the year coming actually. So, you know, just to go against the point, it's it's not going to vanish. You've got some properly top end products coming out in in coming months, like uh, Canon EOS R three, for example. So, it's still got its great strengths, and and these camera companies, the traditional ones, Canon, Nikon, uh, are growing those. Um, but they're kind of losing some headway to other contenders like Sony, um, which are really kind of running rings around them to some degree, especially in the video department. Um, but again, it's all kind of more positioned towards the higher end, be that actual proper production facilities where they're using some of these cameras as B-roll for, for filming proper um, or just, you know, high end uh, production that you're doing in-house even even certain youtubers and such like are using some of these products because it does what they want and uh, they can afford that kind of cash flow and what made this year's sony a1 stand out for you it was kind of i mean funny enough i've seen it used so much more um and when i'm at say you know a car launch or something typically that brand will have a photographer because they want kind of action shots to to kind of show off what's what's going on um often or more often than not now i've seen probably yeah eight out of ten i reckon are probably using sony so i kind of have a little chat with them and just kind of try and get that that impression as to like why have you have you switched have you always been with sony and i think for them it's just the speed um you know you can get some crazy fast burst rates out of it um the resolution's massive the quality's great um and they can also use it as a video setup so I think the A1 was you know, one of the first that could really do proper 4K. I believe it can do 8K, but I'd have to double check the spec because I haven't used one for a long time. Um, but it just seems to be a company that's really, yeah, not, not come out of nowhere. Sony's been around for a very long time and they've been doing things really well for a long time. But it just seems to have tipped the, the kind of direction some of these pros are working, which is, which is interesting to see. Now, continuing on the camera theme, Chris, um, best flagship phone this year. Was the winner of Pixel 6 Pro a surprise to you, or are you, uh, you quite happy that that won? I'm happy that it won. I still have it on my <laughs> desk, and that um, that says quite a lot because I, I do have lots of phones. I have phones to review, and when I stop in a phone, it usually means that I don't want to leave that phone. So that says quite a lot about how how satisfying the the Pixel 6 Pro is perhaps the surprising thing is that this is such a new um such a new device uh sometimes we see that older phones do well because a lot of people are more um experienced with them um but i think there's an important thing going on here which is google has decided that it's going to be serious about its phones and much more serious than it was last year with the with the Pixel 4a 5G and the and the Pixel 5, and a lot of people just didn't really know how these fit, like fit in, you know, to the to its lineup of phones. Like, why why did they launch those sort of mid range phones? Um, this year is completely different. Using its own core hardware is an, an ambitious move, so it had to try and support that with a phone that really delivered. There's been a complete shakeup in the cameras. Um, you know, this is the biggest shift in Google Pixel cameras since I think the Pixel 3. So that's that's quite a big move. Um, and yeah, the experience that I found from it has been fantastic. And as you 
sort of linked into this through the uh, through the camera side of it. That's really what the the Pixel is known for is its camera, and it's just easy to take photos with. It's consistent. Some people like a manual approach with picking this out and doing this, and and I you know I think that's great when you're using a proper camera, but when you're using a phone. I don't mind that artificial intelligence comes forward and says, you probably want this picture to look like this. I'm going to make that happen. And, you know, 99% of the time it does happen. And that just makes it, you know, simple, easy to use. And it means that when you take a picture and share a picture, you're sharing a picture that's good rather than sharing a picture that is slightly dodgy, which has often been the case with um, a lot of smartphones in the past. Yeah, and I suppose you know it's interesting. I think for me that the Pixel, um, the Pixel won out against the iPhone, but also the iPhone 13 Pro, but also against the Samsung Galaxy uh, Ultra, and and perhaps a sign of things to come that the the Flip was the fo- their foldable phone was also included in the awards this year, Mike. Yeah, um, so I, I think in terms of the the winners, one thing we have seen, and you've just mentioned Samsung and uh, apple year on year we're not necessarily seeing kind of those massive leaps and bounds whereas if you look at the pixel it's quite dramatically different to what came before it um so i think that's perhaps part of the reason that 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 took the crown um and then obviously as you've just touched upon there's a whole different approach going on um, or at least potentially if you don't want a standard kind of candy bar phone you can now get a flip one or a fold one, um, which is kind of being really spearheaded by by Samsung um, with its flip. Um, it is a really interesting phone, and um, to the point that one of our team members even went and bought one. So it obviously has enough appeal, not just as a kind of concept, but it it's genuinely a device that you go, oh, I could have something different that doesn't cost me tons more money that does things in a slightly different way. Um, for those unfamiliar, the, the flip is basically, it's like taking a, no, a normal phone and folding it kind of vertically in half into like a little sandwich shape. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Like, I, I don't know if I personally would own it, but I think it really represents what, where this kind of market has got to. And um, there's plenty more progression that can happen yet before it's kind of completely refined and finished. I think we'll see a greater evolution in that kind of whole market in, in the coming years. So whether there'll be flip phones left, right, and center, not totally sure yet. We'll, we'll have to wait and see what, what different companies do. But I know a lot of them are exploring possibilities for sure. And I know you could say this every year, but it does feel that perhaps due to the current situation that we're kind of this new hybrid world that we're living in, that there is a, a real distinctiveness between the winners and runners up this year in, in the sense that some of them are you know, brand new devices that have, you know, broken away from what was previous and, and really tried to change the format. And, and others are kind of that constant refinement of, of things that have come before it. You know, sort of the Apple Watch Series 7, a, a brilliant smartphone, but not a huge change from 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 what was before it. And, you know, like Philips Hue, just increasing that refinement and, and making sure that it becomes, you know, they've had an, up to, at a, an app update and some new, you know, obviously lots of new bulbs and things like that, but just making it considerably a better product all round. And then you have new contenders like Disney Plus, which, you know, has now got something like 118 million subscribers worldwide as you know as continues come in and as one best tv streaming service or you know the, the bows and wilkins which has kind of taken a 
an old design and, and refreshed it ready for, for 2021. Yeah, I think that's always going to be the case where you have a, a few movers and shakers, but we're always living within this cycle of, of reinvention. I think the Bowers and Wilkins is a, is a good example of that. This it's it's always dangerous when you say something has iconic design or it's a classic. But let's face it, the uh, the Zeppelin is a classic, and I was hoping that it would be redesigned with a sort of MagSafe dock on it, so that you could plant your plant your iPhone on the front of it, and it would be just like the old days when it was originally an iPod dock. Um, instead, it is. It is. It doesn't offer that functionality, and I think that's kind of a shame. But I also understand that Bowers and Wilkins wouldn't be able to sell this to the other side of the market if if they did put a huge Apple dock on the front of it and didn't let anybody else play. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think the pace of change has slowed recently in the past few years. We've we've been through some some really exciting ch- times and, and changing things up a lot. Um, and I think one area where we still have a lot to come and we, uh, we uh, an area that's still waiting for its moment is in uh, virtual reality and augmented reality. And I think that, you know, there's still a lot of people exploring how to make that a part of the market that everybody can get involved with and, and try and cut the wires and make it more affordable and make it something that everybody can get involved with, as well as providing an environment in which people are happy uh, rather than it being slightly alien and off-putting, which sometimes it has been in the past. Now, the way that the Pocalin Awards, the EE Pocalin Awards, are voted for each year is uh, we get a number of expert judges uh, to form a panel. There's over around about 100 journalists this year, plus uh, the public get involved as well. That means that Mike, Chris and I only have a small fraction of the overall vote with that in mind, Mike, were there any things that you really wanted to win that, unfortunately, the greater good said that they weren't good enough? That's, that's always going to be the case, I think. And that's kind of part of the, the sort of beauty of, of the way we do this this whole selection process. It's a bit more democratic, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, from my point of view, going back to games as one, um, I love Sackboy on, on the PS5. <laughs> It's not even in a runner-up position because I don't think people have given it quite enough love or enough time. Who knows? I think that's one of those standout games for me that I just keep going back to, play it with my my brother, and it's just a real rare sort of joyful, happy game. You know, it's quite rare that you get these now. It's It's not about guns and shooting. It's kind of cartoony and fun. And, yeah, I, I found that very, very entertaining. Um and I mean, there'd be a bunch of others in this whole, I'm looking at the whole list now because we've seen so much this year. Um, personally, I think Netflix takes it over Disney Plus for myself just because I've watched a lot more um, on, on that service. Um, and I do have to say I love my Ring Video Doorbell Pro 2. And as much as I use Philips Hue, and it is great, I found that that camera out the front of the house to be massively useful this year. So those are probably my... My little picks among among the batch here. And and Chris, um, well, I was I was quite you know Mike has just put in the shout for his his Ring Video doorbell. Um, I have been using the Arlo Video doorbell, which I know that you have as well, Stuart. And I was kind yeah. of hoping that that would do a little bit better. Um, 
I think it's always good. I mean, Ring has dominated this part of the market for such a long time. And for Arlo, it was an obvious area for them to look at. And we know there's going to be more in the future. I mean, um, Amazon has just launched a Blink doorbell and Amazon owns Ring and Blink brands. So they're really sort of doubling down on this area. But yeah, I was hoping that, that Arlo would do a little bit better, but it seems that Ring is still the uh, the, the more obvious and the more popular choice. Yeah, for me, it was um, a product that uh, I got earlier in the year uh, called Muriel, which wasn't even nominated, doesn't even kind of have a category to go into, uh, which is kind of like a, a large digital canvas uh, to with a of course with a with a subscription of of, of art that you can then download and, and enjoy in your home. I remember. Um, that. Yeah, I mean it's a great product, but it just kind of doesn't really doesn't really fit anywhere, or is not that well known. Um, I think they've got an announcement coming out in uh, CES where it's going to allow NFTs to uh, to be beamed straight to your home, uh, mm. which might mean that it's either complete vaporware or or, or or the next big thing um and talking of 2022 what do we think have we got any does this does this this year's classic light award winners tell us anything of what we're expecting for next year or is it a bit too early to tell i think part of what you've just said is is kind of maybe where 2022 is going there's there's other kind of potential categories that we don't categorize at the moment um but we did discuss in the uh, awards video, which is on YouTube uh, now, it's all about fitness, right? Home mm. fitness. So I've totally changed what, what I'm doing because I've now got Zwift on um, a tax bike setup, which is a, a Garmin company. And when it's raining outside or when it's icy or just when I don't have enough time um, or a flat tire or whatever, you can, or I can just jump out into the garage, get on the bike load up a laptop and be in this kind of virtual world where I can do all kinds of training and training programs and and so on and the model of that is a bit like Netflix you subscribe so you're paying month on month on month um to kind of increase your your stats and and have all access to everything uh, in in that regard peloton as well it's gone from strength to strength um yeah, and even like Hydro, I mean, I've just just started testing for for a review for Pocket Lane. I've just started testing Hydro, which is the the kind of peloton for rowing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And you know, it's all very it's expensive to get into it, but it's you know, once you're in, it's all very accessible, and it's kind of about leaderboards and community yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It is super expensive, but I was kind of thinking about this because my my brother just bought a peloton, and he was umming and ahhing about it for so long because in the UK it's what forty pounds a month on the subscription. Mm. But actually, he lives in London, and various gym memberships in that locality are ninety plus pounds a month. So, the fact it's in his spare room means he can just right. I've got a half an hour spare. Dash out of the office, straight on, straight off, quick shower. You're good. Um, it may sort of lack some of the direct social stuff, and and that's something that may have a knock on effect in the future. Who knows? We'll see. But I think there's a lot of a lot of positivity that's that's come out of it and getting hold of these devices to some degree is getting as difficult as getting a playstation 5 you know so mm. there's clearly popularity there and i think that can only grow because there's a backlog of demand ultimately so i think that's um something to keep an eye on and something increasing numbers of people are, are aware of and interested in and chris do you think there's any big trends here apart from those two well we've all been watching um we have been watching the the increase in health 
monitoring and stuff like this, which is related to fitness. I mean, everybody's been interested in fitness, but what you've just been talking about is actually doing sport in your house. Um, but we've we've also seen the the other side of this, which is health and medical monitoring through devices and increasing talk about monitoring things like glucose levels and blood pressure and all of this kind of stuff. Um, I, I, I do think it's... Um, I think it's an interesting trend and I can kind of, I can understand why why people are going down this route and trying to provide these things. I also think that we need to be quite careful with how much monitoring we're, we're doing of people and how much we are giving them a reason to worry about things and then giving them reassurance when what they really need to be doing is talking to doctors and, and seeing medical professionals about this because... Uh, with all the will in the world, the watch that you have on your wrist may not actually understand what's going on with your body, whereas a trained professional may have a much better idea and the ability to do a lot of of, of important testing that can reveal all these underlying things. So, I think I think that's um that's certainly going to be a trend. We we can see it pouring through the the Apple Watch and the other watch platforms as well. Um, I think we we need to be a little bit careful with medical stuff you know i'm all for the the fitness tracking and motivation and steps and heart rate monitoring when you're running and all of that kind of stuff but i think we just need to take a little bit care with the with the other stuff and make sure that we're not leading people down a path of telling them that they need to panic or that everything's all right when what they really need to do is you know talk to a doctor and have a relationship with a medical professional rather than a technology company yeah it's easy to get fixated on numbers and and actually even in my at home exercise i've largely stopped wearing anything that measures heart rate because the accuracy can be a little bit poor and and sometimes if you're trying to do certain zones or whatever and it's kind of i don't know 10 beats out or it hasn't updated for 30 seconds it can suddenly kind of give you an, an alert that you've spiked and you shouldn't have and it's like well i feel okay so i'm kind of more of the mentality of just going with with kind of what feels right and trying to judge it in a slightly different way because yeah i agree i think there's there's some great data to have that can really guide you through things. And then there's kind of data that could be useful, but if you're constantly looking at it and fretting over it, you're only going to add anxiety to your life that you probably don't need. Yeah. And there we go. Thanks very much. That's it for this week's show. For a full list of winners and the runners-up, please head over to pocketlint.com forward slash awards. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip hip. 